This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Wiretap. Nothing personal word of the day for Wednesday, May 18th, 2022 is Wiretap. Wiretap is otherwise known as FBI listening in. They're listening to your calls. I guess it's true that we should think about the fact that everybody's listening to everything. Everybody's recording everything. I'm not sure everyone cares about what everybody's saying, but sometimes people say things that they shouldn't say. I don't understand people not realizing in this day and age when you text, when you tweet, when you do anything, you can delete all you want, but you're being heard. Wiretap is the conversation and it has to do with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. That's the baseball team in Los Angeles owned by Artie Moreno, who is trying to do a land deal. Now, I don't have Billy Corbin by my side, So I can't do an entire conversation or make a little movie or a mini documentary about what's happening in Los Angeles. It's not really Los Angeles. It's more like Anaheim. And God, we've spent a lot of time talking about the fact that it's the Anaheim Angels. But what's going on there is the Angels want, shockingly, a new ballpark. And in order to get the new ballpark, they want to get a whole bunch of land. So there was a deal put in place where Artie Moreno would buy for about $320 million, a bunch of land where Angel Stadium is. And by owning that land, there would be the ability to do development. And as you know, the reason why development matters is that's where the money is for these owners. Because when you own a baseball team and you are involved in revenue sharing, revenue sharing comes from baseball generated revenue. That means that anything that happens within your stadium, anything that happens related to your baseball team inside your baseball stadium gets shared with other teams. But if you buy land around your stadium, develop it and own hotels or convention centers or retail or commercial, you get to keep that money and none of it has to be shared with teams like the Marlins or the Guardians or the Royals or the Rays. So... The Ricketts family, when they bought all of Wrigleyville, and of course, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but when you develop in areas around Wrigleyville, you're doing that for the sole purpose of hiding money or trying to make more money. 
The learners have done that in Washington around Nationals Park. It is a very common thing. There are people who are hired whose sole job is to find ways to generate money for your owner that will not be shared. And when you are dealing with the purchase of land from a public entity, a whole lot of things can happen in order to make that deal go through. The first thing you have to do, and this is what we did to get Marlins, but hold on, that's not true. We didn't do anything illegal at all, and God knows it wasn't for lack of looking by the Norman Bremens of the world and everybody else in Miami who thought that we had engaged in some nefarious activities to get Marlins Park built. Of course, we did not. We just engaged in outstanding negotiation. But there are deals that happen and there is corruption that happens in a way that would make your eyes water, and it is not unique to baseball. That is the way of the world, and that's why people want to speak truth to power. That's why people are always questioning what are the motives, what's going on behind the scenes. Are elected officials actually doing what's in the best interest of their constituents, or are they doing what's in the best interest of themselves? In Anaheim, there's a mayor. His name is Mayor Henry Sidhu, and there's a 90% chance I pronounced that name wrong, but S-I-D-H-U. And the mayor in Anaheim is engaged in a deal and cut a deal to sell what is argued by many to be undervalued land to Artie Moreno. Now, how do you get that deal done? Well, generally, what you do is you negotiate. Sometimes what owners do and what owners' representatives do is they find ways to get votes that are required to get certain things passed, certain revenue streams, certain taxes, certain additional taxes, certain allocations of existing taxes, and they do it in ways where the politicians feel as though it is maybe on the line of what is allowed and what is not allowed, but sometimes if you don't know where the line is, you go over the line. And what happened in Anaheim is the FBI got wind, right? Because there was a city councilman named Jose Moreno, and he accused the Angels owner, Artie Moreno, and he he accused the mayor, Harry Sidhu, of engaging in illegal and, let's just say, illegal activities that led to this undermarket deal. And what was wiretapped was a conversation where the actual this is so unbelievable when we met with politicians coca i had a register as a lobbyist and so i met with all the different members of the county commission the city commission and you met them all one-on-one you did not meet them quote unquote in the sunshine sunshine is when you're going to meet with more than one commissioner at a time that has to be done in a public arena so that people can listen in people can ask questions and it's all meant for accountability it's meant as sort of an anti-corruption set of rules to to fight against corruption but when it's one-on-one that can lead to certain side deals and those side deals may not be worth it when you are a mayor what you are looking for much like any politician is you're looking for money for your re-election campaign or you're looking for certain favors to be done for you for members of your family etc the reason why i turned down all of those different 
possible things that may have been presented is that the juice was clearly not worth the squeeze because I knew that I could get to the votes and get this deal done to get Marlins Park built without ever doing anything illegal. And of course, I would never do anything illegal because that would violate my number one rule, which is not to be a good father. That would be a good number one rule, not to be a good husband, not to be a good friend, not to be a good person. My number one rule is nothing will happen that will ever impact my ability to get out of this chair, walk out of this hotel, and never come back. I will do nothing ever, ever, hard E, that would take away my freedom. But what happens if you're on a phone call and Artie Moreno is listening in on the phone call, he's on the phone call, and the mayor says, hey, I've got an idea. How about if you just give a million dollars to my campaign? Because if you do that, then I'm going to give you a better deal and we're going to get this passed and I will make sure we get it passed, but you've got to take care of me. This is a story as old as time with politicians doing this across all cities. But in Anaheim, this is taking on special meaning because now it's three shows in a row where we said the words quiet part out loud. And the reason why you never want the quiet parts to ever be spoken out loud is that Plausible deniability is when people suspect that you are doing something, but you get to say, listen, I don't even know what you're talking about. Of course I would never do that, even if in fact you are doing that. And so imagine if the mayor and Artie Moreno were engaged in some sort of illegal deal and that the sale to Artie Moreno of that land was leading to not just enriching the Artie Moreno and the Anaheim Angels, but in addition was doing something to advance the career of the mayor. And if you do that, by definition, you are doing that at the expense of your constituents. And that's the thing that Billy Corbin was fighting with into Miami is he wasn't trying to take away soccer. That was never the intention of his mini documentary. The intention was simply and solely to make it so the deal would be better. And when you're going through different deal points and you're negotiating different things, I never once got the feeling that the politicians had as their only goal was to do right and do the best they could for their constituents, and they're not alone, and I'm not in any way sullying anyone in Miami or any of the politicians who people either voted for or recalled. I am merely commenting on what is real, and what is real is that in this world of business, there are people who are in it for themselves, and that is perfectly normal in the private sector, but in the public sector, you're not supposed to do that. And if you do do it, you're certainly not supposed to talk about it. So they wiretapped and heard the discussion where this happened. What do you do now? If you're Anaheim and you're presented with this article that came out yesterday, and you are presented with the possibility of unsavory business, you have to come out and say, right, a very simple quote which is, we will determine what this means for the stadium plan in the days ahead, said a spokesperson for Anaheim. The Angels are saying, absolutely, we did nothing wrong and we are interested solely in doing what's right for our fans. That's the same as constituents, right? Politicians have constituents who are voters. Owners, in theory, are supposed to have constituents who are fans, which is why they always thank the fans first and they say they love the fans. And I tell you on nothing personal, it's not about loving the fans. It's not about doing what's right for the fans. It's about what's doing what's right for themselves and their business. And query, is that so wrong? 
what is it that we are trying to protect? And what we're trying to protect is not illegal activity because that's codified and that's what people say they are trying to protect. That's what law enforcement is trying to do is weed out the bad people and the bad acts by the bad actors. But actually, when you are putting together a stadium deal like this, everyone is doing it, in my opinion, with everyone's best interests in mind because it's good to have a new ballpark. It's good to have owners who are engaged in the stadium who are investing in your community but sometimes they go too far. And so what happens if Artie Moreno went too far? What happens if the mayor went too far? He could get recalled, not get reelected. Artie Moreno's not gonna lose his team. They're not gonna lose the ability to develop around their stadium because at the end of the day, the Angels will just leave Anaheim. And so then it gets sort of boiled down to leverage. And you find me a deal anywhere. You find me an example in your life where you having more leverage than the person you are speaking to or negotiating with, find me an example where having more leverage doesn't pay off for you. The only time that happens is when either A, people don't realize they have the leverage, or B, people are too intellectually challenged to understand what to do with that leverage. Artie Moreno is a lot of things, but stupid is not one of them. He will take full advantage of all leverage he has. He will get this land deal done. It will get approved, and the Angels will get their new stadium along with their new development and take more revenue away from all of the other teams who are looking for the revenue. So the major lesson for wiretap being the word of the day is not about Anaheim. It's not about baseball. It's not about stadiums. It's about generally you, and it ties into yesterday's story that we did about Nestor Cortez and tweets and thinking about what you do, what you say, and where that will live, and the fact that those statements and pictures will live forever. But how do you communicate that to your kids? How do you communicate, hey, don't take a selfie with you ripping a bong hit. Don't take a selfie or take video of you having sexual relations with someone who may or may not be interested in those sexual relations. A, you shouldn't be doing that to begin with, but B, just know that there is no such thing as fully encrypted. There's no such thing as the disappearing text or the disappearing photo or the disappearing phone call. I guess the moral would have been, hey, do it in person and make sure there's no electronic trail. But I guess everybody's watching. Everybody's listening. We are in a society of George Orwell, Big Brother. So just act accordingly, would you? And I guess kids don't pay attention to the lesson until they get burned. And you do your best to try to teach them what could happen. You try to give your players that same sort of childlike perspective when you're acting like a parent. It just doesn't work all the time. But when you're trying to get a ballpark, you do pretty much anything. In Oakland, just down the road, I guess is Oakland, I can't say that. Frisco is not considered down the road from LA, is it? Well, it's first of all, you're right, it's up the road. Do you know that when you're talking about something north, you say up, when you're talking about something south, you say down? Hey, I'm going up to Philadelphia. People in New York say, yeah, I'm gonna go up to Philadelphia tomorrow. No, 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 you're going down to Philadelphia, you're going up to Boston. People get that wrong, I don't know why. In Oakland, that's happening as well. And what's ha- it is a six-hour drive, Coca. He's whispering in my ear. It's six hours. That's not right up the road. 
I sort of is. Like, if you're a nine-hour drive from somewhere, that to me is the limit, right? If you're nine hours or more from somewhere, you can't say that's up the road. I'm going to say six hours is up the road, but nine hours, that takes like special planning. You lose a whole day. You're going to need a lot of beef jerky, and the juice better be worth the squeeze if you're getting in your car for nine hours just to do something uh, or, or someone. So in the A situation, there was a quote that came out yesterday that made me smile as such a movie buff that I am. One of my favorite movies is Major League. And if you go back and look at Major League, it's so interesting. Remember in that movie, there was an owner of a team who was trying to lose games, right? The original tanking was going on in Major League. And the reason is that the owner wanted to move the team from Cleveland. By the way, those stadium scenes, the baseball on-field scenes were filmed at the old county stadium in Milwaukee is where they were filmed. And if you look at the Easter egg, they forgot to Photoshop WTMJ off the scoreboard at old county stadium, which is a radio station in Milwaukee, but I totally digress. But if you are trying to get a stadium and you are tanking, in Major League, they were tanking to move to Florida. They wanted to move to Miami. Did you know that? Did you, re- did you remember that, Coca? That the woman owner of, I don't know why I said woman owner. She was just a woman owner. Remember, they put that picture of her up and they clip off a piece of her clothing every time they won a game. I wonder if that aged well, that scene. I'm going to say that did not age well, where they put a picture of the owner in a bikini and they would rip off one of the pieces of the bikini every time they won. And at the end, she just had like the nipple tassels on. <laughs> I'm not sure that works now, but the concept does, and they wanted to move to Miami so badly, I guess that didn't work either. So Dave Caval, and I call him Caval Cavill, I keep getting his name wrong, I don't know which it is, Coca, he gave a quote, and he said, I know regarding their attendance, they drew last night about 3,200 people to their game against the Twinkies. He said, I know some people think it's major league, but it's not. We wouldn't be spending $2 million a month trying to get our waterfront ballpark approved if we weren't serious about staying in Oakland. That's not true. You would absolutely spend $2 million a month trying to get a ballpark in Oakland, knowing that it may or may not happen, because you've got to prove to the other owners to get the 23 votes that you exhausted all possibilities before taking up an expansion market through relocation. But Dave, the president of the A's, doesn't want you thinking that. He's got to give the pat quotes. I don't think that's the word. The pat quotes that I'm trying to say, like the standard quotes. Is pat and standard, are those by chance synonyms? I'm not exactly sure. But they're trying to, he's trying to give you the quotes that you're supposed to give. It's in the president's handbook where you say, of course, that we're trying. We're not. There was a whole article written, a great article by Ken Rosenthal on The Athletic, which you should check out, trying to understand whether or not the A's are trying to lose. Are they trying not to draw fans? Are they giving an example to baseball and the other owners that, hey, we only draw 2,000 people, 3,000 people. We're averaging 8,000. We've got to move. We have no chance. That's not what's happening. So the A's president, I think, would be better served by giving you different quotes, which is, we understand why our attendance is low right now, instead of trying to explain all the promotions they do and trying to explain all the different reasons why they should be having more people. Why not just own it and say, we understand that fans are upset, but you have to understand that our sole purpose right now, and this is going back to the Miguel Cabrera 2007 trade where I went public and I said, 
this was a choice between the long-term viability of a franchise in Miami, frankly, the long-term existence of a franchise in Miami, or signing Miguel Cabrera, which do you want? And my job as president of a team is to think long-term, not short-term, and there will be other players like Miguel Cabrera, even though he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and it turns out that I wish we had kept Miguel Cabrera, obviously, but given the choice right now, if you ask any president or any owner of any business and you are given a choice, do you do something that in the short term hurts your clients and customers, but you know guarantees that that business will be around forever, what do you do? As a responsible steward of a team, you've got to take care of your future. But for whatever reason, Major League Baseball and team presidents in general actually don't want to acknowledge that. And now that I've got some distance from some of my quotes as president of a team where I said very similar things to what Dave was saying, I would have done it differently. And I would have said, listen, you know, actually, Coca, if you Google, I think my quotes around the Cabrera trade were similar where I said, given the choice, I've got to choose Miami franchise. I've got to choose the name on the front of the jersey over the name on the back of the jersey. So why not just acknowledge we understand why fans are staying away. We wish they wouldn't. We try to do things that make experiences fun. But at the end of the day, our job is to get a ballpark done. And we are working very hard and spending lots of money to get that ballpark done in Oakland. And we think it's going to work. Instead, you're talking about major league. It just makes no sense. Not sure why. So the baseball season is uh, well on its way. We are May 18th. The season's been going on. What have teams played, Coca? Where are we, around 40 games? Is that around what, what teams have generally played? So we're about at the quarter pole of the season. And I was watching some games yesterday, and one team really has struck my fancy this year because when you've got a team that is expecting good things, expecting to build on a good season and takes major steps backwards, you have to ask yourself as an executive, why is that happening? What did we do wrong? Should we not have run it back? Did we run it back to in full? Should we have traded a few different players or signed a few different players? The Boston Red Sox, after their uh, World Series win, when did they sign Nathan Eovaldi? They signed him after he had a great postseason run. Coco, was it for the Red Sox when he pitched all those extra innings, when he pitched like seven innings of a long game? Or was that with the Dodgers? I'm blanking. I think it was with the Red Sox. So anyway, they signed Evaldi to this long-term deal. They gave him ace-like money, thinking that he's an ace. And it's funny, in fact, when he signed that contract in December of 18, I remember being on HQ saying it's a complete overpay. And I know Nathan, he's a great guy. He pitched for us in Miami. We traded for him and traded him. I think I both traded for him and traded him. I believe I did both, Coca. There's no question he's sort of a middle of the rotation guy. They were playing a game yesterday. He was pitching against the Houston Astros, the Carlos Correa-less Houston Astros. And two things occurred to me. One, baseball executives know more than you do. When they didn't re-sign Carlos Correa, there was this thought in Houston that, my God, we are not doing right by the fans. The fans were saying, we're, we're going to stink. We're not going to, we want to keep winning. Meanwhile, they've been so hugely successful and they had a player ready to go in Jeremy Pina, who has been better than Correa has been for the Twins this year, though the Twins are doing well, though he's sort of hurt again. But at the end of the day, 
When you've got a player who can produce at 700,000 versus a player producing at 30 million, even though that player is part of the fabric of your team, it's a very, very quick decision. So we'll pretend as executives that we struggled over the decision and we'll hold a press conference where we say what a difficult decision this was, how sad it is. We'll do a video when the player comes back, right? We'll do all sorts of different things in order to ensure that fans believe that we actually contemplated. But when you've got production at 700 grand versus 30 million, it's, it's a quick conversation. And of course, Jeremy was not a proven talent, but that's why you have baseball people. But then on the other side, you've got the Red Sox situation where during yesterday's game, something happened I don't think ever happened in my career. And that's thousands of games. The Astros hit five home runs in one inning against Nathan Avaldi. And the Red Sox lost the game and they're four and a half games back of the expanded third playoff wild card. They are having a major problem this season and I was just wondering whether or not they are going to sell and oh it was Coca that was the eighth time a pitcher has given up no no it's happened eight times let's get this right for people teams have hit five home runs in an inning eight times and this is the third time a single pitcher has allowed it that's not a lot Side note, Coco, we would have during games when we'd sit with the GM and we'd be talking about the games and watching and then something crazy would happen, which it invariably does, and we'd have to pull out the rule book or pull out our roster or just watch an amazement. We would always call over our PR guy and we'd say, hey, PJ, Matt, that's never happened before, right? I mean, that's got to be a first. And they would always say the same thing. David, everything's happened before. That's the general rule in baseball. Everything that happens has happened before. There's nothing new under the sun. I would not have guessed that a single pitcher had given up five home runs in an inning because it would not have occurred to me that any manager would let the fifth home run happen to say nothing of the fourth, maybe the fourth, I guess. You give up three home runs and you need some depth out of your, you need some length out of your pitcher that particular day, so you let them wear it. God, we used to tell our pitchers, you'd do that before a game. Second detour on this, Coca, when you know that you need innings out of a pitcher, whether it's a starter or a bullpen arm, and you know it doesn't matter what the score of the game is because if it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter because that pitcher is staying in the game until his arm falls off. Do you know that we tell that pitcher that in advance? And the reason we tell that pitcher that in advance is that it is critical for that pitcher to fully understand, right? They have to understand that they're they're not going to be rescued at all. And that's got to be how Nathan Ivaldi felt, right? He's got to say to himself, wow, I don't have it, and my fastball's flat. They're totally squaring up. So the Red Sox now have to decide what they're going to do. And when you're 40 games in and you've got a $200 million payroll investment, I can only promise you that the Red Sox and Chaim Bloom, their chief baseball officer, have not made a decision to sell. I'm not sure they're buying right now, but they are looking at their schedule coming up and they're calculating how many series they have to win to get back to 500, how many games they have to catch up in the standings, how close they need to be to a playoff berth. But they're already within the range that I needed. I only needed a five-game deficit for me to say, hey, we're ready to go. We can do this. We're going to make the playoffs. So they're only four and a half back. I don't think you should panic at all if you're a Red Sox fan. 
even though some of you are not just panicking about their record and their performance, some of you are panicking about their star, Xander Bogarts, and whether or not he's going to stay or go. Is he going to declare free agency and leave the Red Sox? Yesterday, he said something or it was uh, earlier this week, Bogarts actually said, listen, I'm not Aaron Judge. I'm happy to talk about an extension during the course of a season, and uh, I'm happy to listen to any offers they may have. Of course, Scott Boris's agent said, nah, we're going to wait. I like that. I like when Scott Boris doesn't even care what his players want. If the Red Sox right now offered Bogarts uh, six, 180 over six, or just a shade over what they gave Trevor Story. I think Bogarts takes that deal. He'd be smart to take that deal. But Boris, there's no way, no way he would let his client take that offer. So the moral of the story is that if the Red Sox, you're hoping to win 73 of your next 126 games. You're hoping that you re-sign Bogarts at the end of the year. You're hoping you get to 86 games and try to get back into the playoffs. And now's your time in the season, we're 40 games in, you're still allowed to have that hope. Even if it's decreased, and even if you're frustrated and thinking, my God, this isn't our year, just think back to the Nationals, who won a World Series starting 19-31 and 31, or after 50 games. Think back to the Marlins, who won a World Series being 10 games under 500 in May. It is possible to do. It's not likely. But when you're the Red Sox and you're John Henry, you're not giving up on that. No chance, Toilet Pants. All right, when we come back, we are going to review a movie by Ed Burns that I had never heard of that came on the algorithm of Netflix. And then we're going to talk to you about what's going on with Matt Harvey and how angry I am at Matt Harvey's suspension from Major League Baseball that was announced yesterday. We will be right back. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think they'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you. By the way, I, I was just told by my agent yesterday that he's very disappointed with our th subscription numbers on YouTube. We only have 7,000 members of our, way more of you are listening, like way more, but please, go, just go to YouTube. All you have to do is give an email, sign in, and for me, just hit subscribe because we want to keep bringing nothing personal to you every day, audio, 
video even when I'm traveling. Here I am in a blazer with shorts on. But still, I am asking you to subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch and listen and tell your friends. We watch a movie every day. Tomorrow I'm going to review a movie. I'm going to watch this today, Coca. One of our listeners asked me to watch a movie called Taking Chance with Kevin Bacon. It's a bit of an older movie, but I'm going to watch it today. I think it came from when we did a top five list of veterans movies or movies about wartime, but I'm going to watch Taking Chance and I'm going to review that tomorrow. But yesterday, I watched a movie called Summer Days, Summer Nights. Not S-O-M-E-A-R-E. I'm talking about the S-E-A-S-O-N of summer. Ed Burns is the writer and director. You may only know him as the husband of Christy Turlington. You may not even know him as that. I know him as the person who was in and uh, the Brothers McMullen, if you remember that movie. He's had a very interesting career. He is a phenomenal writer, a better writer than he is an actor, but not a bad actor at all. And this is a movie that reminded me a little bit of The Flamingo Kid. Flamingo Kid was a movie with Janet Jones, who is Mrs. Wayne Gretzky, Dustin Johnson's mother-in-law, and Matt Dillon, and that guy, the concierge from Pretty Woman, named Hector Alonzo, Alonzo? if you remember that movie, Pretty Woman with Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. Anyway, he was one of the co-stars of that movie with Laura San Giacomo. This is a movie that takes place in the 80s on Long Island, and it's about a bunch of high schoolers who are about to go off to college, and they're having their last summer in high school, and they work. The main character is the son of the owner of the beach club out on Long Island. The owner of the beach club is Ed Burns. His son takes a job with him. His son had a girlfriend. They broke up for the summer. He finds a new girlfriend. There's great music. There's great stories. And it brought me back, but it really is, unfortunately, a poor man's flamingo kid. Which is not to say you shouldn't watch it, because if you were any part of the 80s, or if you ever had a summer post-high school, pre the rest of your life or pre-college, and you ever spent that time and you ever spent that time with your friends, then you are very much going to enjoy this movie. Is that true, Coca? The character in Flamingo Kid was Carla Sampson? My God. Am I related to Janet Jones? Wait, was it S-A-M-P-S-O-N or actually S-A-M-S-O-N? There was no P? Janet, I'm coming for you. Wayne won't know. All we have to do is do it after 10 a.m. and he won't know the difference. He'll be totally schnookered. Anyway, I digress. Summer Days, Summer Nights with Ed Burns. You may want to check it out. All right, Coca, someone asked a question. We got to deal with it. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. You know what that is. That is when you get on my Twitter, David P. Samson. Hit follow because that's a nice thing to do as well. If you don't have a Twitter account, just sign up for a Twitter account. Don't get into the politics. Just get a Twitter account. Follow David P. Samson and uh, ask a question. My DMs are public and they're open. And you did. Hello, David. I saw you tweet that you think Matt Harvey got off easy. Care to elaborate in more than 240 characters? Yes, I do. Matt Harvey is a pitcher who pitched for the New York Mets. His nickname was Batman. 
He's pitched for the Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles. He is someone who had a great career trajectory, got injured, and then stunk. Maybe not in that order. Matt Harvey is also known as Tyler Skaggs' very close friend on the Anaheim Angels. Tyler Skaggs is the player. Go back and listen to a previous episode. Right now, this is episode 599. Tomorrow is our 600th regular episode. That'll be Thursday, May 19th. Today is 599. Coca, that means we were 100 episodes ago, the sit-down that we did together. That's actually unbelievable to me. So Matt Harvey was a friend of Tyler Skaggs. Tyler Skaggs died of a drug overdose. Then there was a lawsuit, civilly. Then there were criminal charges brought against Eric Kay. Eric Kay, not the guy for CBS. Eric Kay, the media relations guy for the Anaheim Angels. And Eric Kay was found guilty of actually causing the death of Tyler Skaggs. But as part of that trial, a bunch of players were called to testify. And here's a little side note. When you're called to testify, you take an oath, right? And... Taking an oath means you swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. Because if you lie under oath and you are caught lying under oath, guess what? You're going to jail. You're losing your freedom. You've committed perjury. So these players are asked questions during this Tyler Skaggs trial that were very uncomfortable, but you had to answer them. Now, you can try to not answer them, but the judge will make you. And Matt Harvey was asked about drugs. And Matt Harvey acknowledged under oath that he had given drugs. I actually think the verb would be sold, but maybe players share drugs and don't charge, but I would guess they get drinks, maybe dinner, some sort of payment. Sold drugs to Tyler Skaggs. Now, those drugs were not found to have caused his death. Those were drugs that were sold at a different time. They may have continued his addiction, led to his addiction, made his addiction worse. So in some ways, you could argue in a very attenuated way, I guess, in a, in a string that it did lead to his death. But once Matt Harvey admitted that, we knew it was just a matter of time until he got suspended. Rob Manford announced yesterday through Major League Baseball that Matt Harvey, wait for it, has been suspended for 60 games. 60 games without pay, quote, for participating in the distribution of a prohibited drug of abuse in violation of Major League Baseball's Joint Drug Prevention and Treatment Program. Matt Harvey knew the rules very well. He knew when he was testifying that he had no choice but to testify, no choice but to tell the truth. And he knew he was going to be asked whether he had ever given drugs to Tyler Skaggs. And when he was asked and had to an answer, he knew that he was in line for a suspension. So my question is this, Major League Baseball. You suspended Matt Harvey for 60 games on the same day that you suspended a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers whose name escapes me. I want to I say it's someone, May, Maya, Maja, Sija, Foja. I just can't think of the name. 80 games for taking steroids, which means what you are saying to your fans and sponsors and to everybody around the world is that you view taking PEDs as worse and more actionable than distributing drugs of abuse. I'd like us all to take a moment and ponder that concept. What's the impact of PEDs when you take them? What do you think? More home runs? A few miles per hour on your fastball? 
body breakdown? No, that's not why Major League Baseball punishes people for PEDs. When PEDs were happening in 1998 and the home run chase between McGuire and Sosa and everybody, all everybody was complicit. I didn't join the game till 99, but I was equally as complicit during the, my first few years in baseball where you know players are taking steroids, you know they're taking PEDs, but you also know that they're doing it willingly, that PEDs are not addictive. They're doing it for money. They're doing it the same way bodybuilders take steroids in order to win bodybuilding competitions or anyone takes anything when you take five-hour energy groups or Jolt or Red Bull or whatever you were taking, whatever cola you were drinking to stay up late and study, you know, no dose. What about that? That was a good one. You know that you're doing it with a means to an end. And the means to the end is improving, in theory, your self-worth and what comp you're going to get or what accomplishments you're able to get, what degrees you're able to get. There's all sorts of different reasons why people do things to themselves. But when there's gambling involved in the game, when there is equal playing field, competitive balanced parity, you want to try to legislate against people doing things that you believe will give an unfair advantage to certain players over others. Of course, you mask it the way baseball did by saying, we're trying to get kids not to take steroids because kids are bad for you and you could stunt your growth or you could get your body to break down and we don't want kids taking steroids thinking that that's the only way that they're going to be in the big leagues so we're going to do this big thing with the union and we're going to call it the joint jug prevention and treatment program and we're going to do all these different protocols because we're going to set the example for society that we are the doers of right and then we're going to suspend Matt Harvey for only 60 games you know what's worse than taking PEDs it's giving illegal drugs to addicts. What's worse than a drug dealer? Now, you could argue drug dealers, it's just a business, right? They didn't make the people. They don't make the people do it. Well, like with cigarettes and like with other things that have addictive qualities like opioids, I think we're now in a society where we have absolutely blamed the makers of these products for causing the addiction, for helping the addiction, for aiding the addiction, and for making it as though it's okay to do what you're doing because either we tell you it's not addictive or we tell you we don't care whether it's addictive, just keep buying our product. When you share drugs with your friends, forget the fact that you don't know if you're getting them off the street or you're getting them illegally on some internet website and you don't know whether or not they have fentanyl in them. And you don't even care, even though fentanyl is the leading cause of drug overdose and drug overdoses are at an all-time high. When you are doing drugs with your friends, now if you're just getting stoned, right, I could argue that if you're doing it in a controlled atmosphere and you're not driving a vehicle and you're in a place where it's legal, so you're not risking any sort of freedom and you're sitting around and the worst part about it is that you're eating Hostess cupcakes and a couple Twinkies and maybe some cinnamon rolls, I am not going to feel responsible for passing the J or the bong or for giving an edible to somebody. But when it comes to opioids or cocaine and sharing that, and you know that person has a drug problem, to me that makes you culpable. Not that you caused their death, but you certainly were a part of continuing their addiction. And you're Major League Baseball, and you don't want to get the message out to young kids. You don't want to get the message out that you care about that sort of deal. 
pun intended, that you care about distributing illegal and illicit opioids or coke? Baseball, you got to do better. Now, the 60 games was an agreed-upon suspension, not like the Trevor Bauer 324 where there's going to be a hearing. Baseball met with Harvey, and they said, we're going to bang his 60 games. You're going to agree to it, and it's going to start now, even though you're a minor league pitcher, and even though it's unlikely you're going to ever be a productive major leaguer again. But what's worse about what baseball did yesterday is they actually think they were being harsh and setting an example. And then they announced the 80 games for PEDs. It's outrageous. All right, Met fans, I got, a good, I got a good update for you. Jacob DeGrom, he's done. He's healthy. He got an MRI. He's good to go. <laughs> Not. Are you okay with the fact that what the Mets announced yesterday was absolutely meaningless? They did a follow-up MRI, which is what you do when you've got a player with any sort of elbow or arm issue or shoulder issue or forearm issue or any sort of sprain, tear. You take MRIs just to see how the progress is, how the, how the bone's healing, whatever it is. There's continued healing in the scalpula, said the Mets. He's going to build distance and velocity in his throwing program. <laughs> we, we like saying that. Do you know what that means, just so you know? Building distance in a throwing program is that you start off at 60 feet, then you have to go to 90 feet, then 120 feet, but you're not on a mound. You're on flat ground, like having a catch, which is what all the players do pregame when you see them on the left and right field line when they're warming up. Do you know how long it takes to go from throwing on flat ground to actually pitching in a major league game if you're Jacob DeGrom? And all the people who said, oh, it's six to eight weeks, and I said it's not till after the All-Star break. Guess what? Jacob DeGrom is not throwing off a mound, and there is no timeline for when he is going to throw off a mound. And until you throw off a mound and then work in all your pitches and then build up your arm, it's the middle of May, folks. Actually, we're on the right side of the middle of May. I think we had to wait to see with DeGrom Coca that he's not going to pitch until after the All-Star break. I could not be more sure of that fact. I can't. I don't think we can do a double wait to see as far as I know. But the DeGrom update yesterday for Met fans, I guess maybe you don't care because of your record, although Tyler McGill went on the IL. And I guess maybe Met fans are constitutionally made to worry about what's next. They're constitutionally made to assume the sky is falling and that it's all going to go to crap. I guess that's possible. We don't have a wait to see on DeGrom. Yes, we do. You got to check your document again. I'm almost positive I said Jacob DeGrom will not pitch until after the All-Star break. Unless that was on HQ. Huh. All right. Then we're making that a wait to see. That was last. <laughs> Time out. Stop the show. I did have a Jacob DeGrom wait to see, but it was for his injury last year. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jacob. I really am. All right. Re-up the wait to see. Jacob DeGrom will not pitch until after the All-Star break. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. We'll revisit it either way if we get it right or we get it wrong. But book that, Coca. DeGrom done. Nothing personal pick of the day. Nailed it. Were you happy after my show yesterday, our show, when we said heat minus one and a half, go bang it? And then all of a sudden, Tito Horford and Marcus Smart aren't playing, and the line went to two and a half and then four and a half. Did you get it in at one and a half? Were you scared of four and a half? The heat won by 11, 118, 107. Coke and I spent about 20 minutes on the phone yesterday going through the over-unders of different players on the team. Do you know the over-under for Grant Williams yesterday was eight and a half points? 
Do you know Grant Williams, the guy who scored 27 points in Game 7 against the Bucks, his over-under was 8, and he scored 7 yesterday? Todd Furman, are you out there? I know you listen to the show. Can you please come back to our show and give me a better explanation as to how in the hell that happens? I'm just asking. Well, we got the Western Conference Finals that start today. Best player left. While people say Jimmy Buckets, he's good. Jimmy Buckets, man, 41 points last night, had a great game. Heater off to a one nothing start, just as we predicted. Series is far from over. I think we predicted the Celtics were going to win the series. Nothing happened yesterday, unless the whole team gets COVID. Tito Horford got Tito. Al Horford, is it Tito or Al? Could I get that wrong every show? Is it possible? Let's just say Horford. He got COVID or COVID-related symptoms or something. That It's Al, sorry. So Tito's his dad. All right, I'll get it right. So Al is out for COVID protocols. He may even miss game two. Marcus Smart, he gets hurt every time he hits the ground, the defensive player of the year. If the Celtics are without Small and uh, Smart and Horford, they're going to have a hard time beating the Heat, especially if anybody else on the Celtics got COVID when they were exposed to Horford during the shoot-around. He actually got pulled off after the shoot-around saying, guess what, uh, you're not playing tonight. That's not really great. Well, we've got the Warriors minus five over the Mavericks. That seems a little heavy to me until I looked at what the Mavericks did in game seven against the Suns, and I'm going to go with the same philosophy. The Mavericks will not have the type of game today that they had against the Suns. You just don't put two games like that back-to-back. So look for the Warriors to cover the five-game, the five-point spread over the Mavericks. Warriors, five over Mavs. We're 61-48. and 48. We are going to try to do better and keep winning. Well, we had so many other... God, I wanted to get to other stuff. I wanted to talk about Messi, Coca. Lionel Messi, maybe buying into Miami for 30, 35%. Maybe we'll get to that tomorrow. We'll see. But that's it. He gave us 45 minutes. Maybe we'll do one day where this show is longer than 45 minutes, Coca. Huh? What do you think? For now, it's just business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.